Hey guys, how you doing? It's China Mike from the Made in China podcast. Sitting over here in the wonderful world of post-production, and I just wanted to let you guys know that the sound quality on this episode was recorded before we got some better equipment, so uh, sound quality on this one is not great. It's still okay, you'll be able to hear it and uh, enjoy the episode, but we promise that the episodes moving forward will be of better quality. So just wanted to give you the update, and we really appreciate all the support, guys. Thank you. Take care. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Welcome to the, I guess, what is it? The I live in China podcast. We live in China. We live in China podcast. It's a working title. You know, still trying to figure it out, but uh, we figured we might as well get the podcast started and figure out the name later. That's good. So if you hear my voice, sexy, it's Rico, and my co-host is. My name is Mike. Many people know me as China Mike. Because I've been in China for the better part of the last eight years, and I think that's what brings Rico and I together, and why we want to start, you know, just an open forum conversation about all the different experiences that we had in China.、Um, I'd say mainly with with sourcing, but you know, as well as just the, the the weirdness that comes along with. Being a foreigner in China for such an extended period of time. Yeah. How did we meet?、Um, EnterChina.co.、Uh, two buddies of mine, Nick and Tim, started it, and it's just an online forum for, I guess, entrepreneurs who are trying to enter the Asian market, specifically in China.、Um, if I remember correctly, that's that's where we met, and I was trying to find somebody to to help me with a couple different projects, and、um, I think one of the guys on the forum recommended you, and I reached out to you, and that's kind of how we got connected. And I was like fresh off the boat, like I think I'd been in China for two months or something like that,、yeah. struggling, you know, <laughs> maybe with somebody to save me. <laughs> But、uh, so I guess people would want to know, like. Who are you? Besides, like, how you've been in China for how long, and what's your background? I'm from the U.S. I'm from Chicago. I grew up there for the, for 19 years. I was in Chicago before I finally headed to Florida.、Um, spent some time in Miami and South Florida.、Uh, things kind of changed for me to, to to you know bridge the gap from that to getting out to China when I went to University of Florida. That was.、Um, That was a big step for me in my like international experience, and I、um, was a business student there. I was heavily involved with、uh, all the incoming exchange students and all the international programs there.、Uh, I did a study abroad. I had a ton of interest in, in meeting new people from all over the place, and took、um, took on a program where I went to study abroad in Spain. Uh, after a year in Madrid, I came back to Florida for a little while, and then I did an international program at the University of Florida, which、uh, was three fourths of the program was in Florida, and then the last quarter of the program was in China.、Uh, 
actually, we got to pick wherever we wanted to go, but I was super interested in coming to China because of all the opportunities or supposed opportunities that I heard about uh, in, in business school and from, you know, all the news online. And, 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 you know, I've always been really fascinated by the Wild West yeah. in the USA and just like westward expansion and rolling up on these towns that are completely unsettled and people just hacking it for themselves and making new opportunities and that's what I was getting from all the information that I was receiving about about China and, and to a broader extent Asia so you know that's that's what that's what got me out here initially for sure yeah I want to come back to that but then I guess also people would want to know what are we doing like besides obviously we're doing a podcast right now <laughs> what, what are we doing uh About four years ago, I started a, a, a company out of Hong Kong called Source Find Asia. Um, and, you know, the, we can get into that more about all the different directions that's taken me. But um, I think specifically just just trying to talk about this. You know, I think a lot of people like me eight years ago, like you a year ago, are, you know, super interested in in entrepreneurship and doing their own thing and, and know that this is the place where there's so many opportunities available to them. So just, um, you know, being able to talk about it and share experiences and then maybe at a future, future point, you know, other people can, can, you know, maybe, maybe hear this and maybe interact with us and we can, you know, make friends and create kind of a network of, of other people with, with similar interests. That's my idea at least. Yeah, for sure. For me, um, because like I'm more of like a budding entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and like we're working together on Source Find Asia. That's going to be mostly sourcing, and then we've got ideas for other things that we want to do, which is like you know Kickstarter related product development and such, and also just being like you said, just being here it has a unique perspective on life, on business. I think that's what we're going to talk about in the podcast. So I think the podcast would be for anybody really but specifically people who are interested in, in Asia life in Asia Southeast Asia yeah. business you know, just kind of the, the crazy st stories that you kind of hear about but maybe not in this sort of form and I know there's other people out there who are, who are doing you know similar uh, uh, programs but um, shout out to China business cast yeah you keep telling <laughs> me about that I haven't I haven't heard too much of it I like it um I've said in the past, like, there's nothing against Michael Michelini, I believe his name is, but um, it's definitely a little bit more subdued. Okay. It's more subdued. It's more, it's not necessarily, like, it doesn't have a lot of energy. Uh -huh. like, he's got great guests, a ton of great content. Like, Does he share a lot of personal stories? Or No, not, not really. Okay. No, okay. And he's a, he's a family guy, like, he's got a he's got a daughter or something like that, wife, okay. and a conservative guy. All right. All right. Yeah. Family guy means conservative? So that's the stereotype. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, for the past eight years here, I have not been a family guy, and <laughs> uh, nor have I been conservative. So hopefully, hopefully those stories can start to, to come to life here. All right. So I'm going to say let's start with the beginning. So like you come to China on the exchange, mm -hmm. and then you, you're here for how long? Uh, the initial exchange program, if I remember correctly, was about four months. Um, The, the, the semesters and timelines didn't line up perfectly, so it, it required me to stay a little later. Uh, so maybe I was in 
China as a student, as a business exchange student for like four to five months uh, before I graduated. And then after that, I just, um, I just really had no ambition of going back to the States and trying to take on any sort of responsibility. So I just kind of hung out, man. I hung out in China. I was able to, you know, like a lot of foreigners out here, uh, teach English in order to, to, you know, make some getting by money, money to be able to go out and have some fun. Yeah. Um, that was a while ago, though. Like when you came there, was a long time. If, if you're in Guangzhou right now, yeah. you know, we're sitting right now in Pacific Coffee in Vienna, mm-hmm. which is the equivalent, like if, like in Toronto, I know it's the equivalent of like any downtown area, any metropolitan right. area. Right. Like a bar street, bar street, walking, walking area, yeah. a lot of night spots, open all night, ton and of foreigners. Yeah, and the banking industry is just like 10 minutes away. Yeah. So like this place did not exist at the time period. Yeah, they, well, where we are, we're sitting out is brand new. I mean, this only came out, what, two years ago? Yeah. Yeah, and then the area that you're saying, the banking area, was Sujan Newtown. That didn't exist at all when, when I first got out here. You know, there's a handful of buildings now. There's, you know, 50-plus skyscrapers. There's one of the tallest buildings in the world. There's a gigantic stadium that's completely, you know, filled with businesses and restaurants and like you said, the financial district. So it's just, yeah, that that's that's a constant amazement about being in China. It's just the rapid growth and, and how quickly they can they can put things up. Um, you know, when it comes to, to to buildings and infrastructure. What about the general like atmosphere in terms of all this development? You know, people. You know, like the, the personalities of the people here. Like what, what do you see in terms of the difference between when you first came and now? Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, there weren't as many foreigners when I first got here. When I first got here, I don't know the number, but now, I mean, you, you walk down almost any street and you could potentially see a foreigner, especially in the area we're in right now. Um, so I think people adapting to seeing all different kinds of foreigners and foreign faces um is one thing i think just every day every every year every day people are just getting busier you know i mean costs have just non-stop gone up since i got here every single aspect of life in this city has become more expensive since the day i got here yeah everything everything across the board you know i, I think people say that a lot like in the states where where, where i'm from you know people say, oh it used to be so cheap yeah. back 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 five years ago when I want to do this or 10 years ago when I want to do this. But I think they're talking about one aspect of life. Like, I don't know if people understand what it, what it's like to be in a place where absolutely every last part of your life becomes increasingly more expensive. I mean, food, whether that's going out to get food or food that you buy in the market to cook your, your, your rent, not only your rent, but the, the, the light bill and the the, the gas just isn't it's crazy. What's it, what was the rent like eight eight years ago? Man, when I ago. first got here, um, I remember I had a really cool place. It was in the older part of town, but it was in a brand new building directly above the metro station. Pretty desirable location, and I want to say, and and I don't think I got a deal by any stretch of the imagination. I want to say I paid like three thousand two hundred RMB for a big two-bedroom apartment. Which is like $500 right now. 
now, but the exchange rate was also better than, you know, yeah. now it's 6.2 to 1, and at that time it was at least 6.8, you know, I'd have to look that up, but, I mean, so, even less. It's probably 400 something. Like right, right. And now we've been looking at places, and, you know, a nice place and a decent part of town is more than $1,000 per month, you know, not to mention all the other bills that, that go into it, so, yeah, I don't know how I got on this, but definitely one part of yeah, I mean, the, how it affects the people, I yeah. think, is what we were talking about. And at the same time, people are getting paid more, right? Like, the, the, mm-hmm. they're earning more money. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's equal. Yeah, like, I, I saying, don't know. Have they doubled their income? I don't know. Certain people, absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's tough, man. I think it's hard for a lot of a lot of Chinese people, especially here, to, to, to keep up with the times. It's going to be interesting to see how, how, how it goes moving forward. But then you also have the surrounding areas coming up and, and, and are, are, you know, a lot nicer and, and more and more people can go. Like like in the States, you know, the outside suburbs are equally as nice as the, uh, as the cities. Yeah, like Sometimes in, nicer. In Guangzhou, we have like Anyu, right, which is, which is yeah. developing. Like when, I, when I've been there, it's kind of out of the way, but the apartments there are pretty nice. Man. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see that they're coming in place in the future, sure. the next five to ten years. Anyu, Phoenix City. Yeah. Even to a lesser extent, like somewhere like Huadu, closer to the airport, there's there's nice places there. So you're here for the exchange, then you're here hanging out for a few years, learning Chinese how did you? Uh, I went to school for a few months initially. I took a program at, at the same school that I did the exchange at. It's called Sun Yat-sen University. It's a pretty nice school in the center of Guangzhou. I'm there as well, it's my school as well. Shout oh, okay. Out. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even know that, man. I'm learning stuff as well. Oh. Um, yeah, that, that was that was super fun. That was just a completely different time. It's hard to even take it back to, to that time and, and mentality. It's so different. Um, but yeah, I studied there for like three months and was picking up teaching jobs, like I said, to make money. But I think the whole time I had aspirations to, to, to do business or at least just get into my own thing, whatever it was. And then you met, did you meet your business partner at the time before or around the same time when you were thinking about doing your No, um, I've had a couple different business partners or people that I, um, that I started business with. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, I, <laughs> the first person I started to do business with, I guess, was an American guy. Um, and his name. <laughs> This is probably too much information that I should share, but uh, I'm going to say it anyway. He, his name was Jay, I remember. Or, and he was a cool guy from... Can I give his Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> he was a cool dude, and he was from um, uh, somewhere in the Midwest. And he got me a job. He got me a teaching job at, a, at one of the better like middle schools, high schools in Guangzhou. It had really good pay, not too many hours. So it was, it was, he was a nice guy. And, you know, he was funny. We had a lot to talk about. And, um, you know, we if you're teaching out here and interested in business, you know that there's a lot of opportunity in education. So people who, who, who do that oftentimes see a possibility for training schools or camps or stuff like this in order to, to, to make some money. Um, and we had one such idea and we, we talked about it back and forth and we were, you know, we we're thinking about pushing it forward, maybe making some advertisements, starting our own school. And, um, 
he had this girlfriend, a Chinese girlfriend, who was the only like drawback to the relationship with him. She seemed like a, a nice enough girl, but their relationship was just like toxic. It was really strange. I think you told me this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she uh, she just kept on getting weirder and weirder. Or, 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 or the situation between them got weirder and weirder in the sense that every time I met up with him, she was there, whether she was invited or not. And you know, they would just talk so awful and rude to each other but yet we're trying to talk about setting up this business and it got to the point where I was getting pretty uncomfortable and I remember one day I was in school and she kept calling me non-stop and I finally went outside to pick up the phone and I said listen this is completely unnecessary like why are you calling me like I really don't have much to do with you I'm just Jay's friend that you know we're going to start this business and she's you don't, you don't even know this guy's not who he says he is. He's, uh, he's completely lying to you and to everyone else. And he's, a uh, he's a rapist. He's a rapist. <laughs> and I said, Oh my God, this is, this is intense, man. You know, my first business partner, I've, uh, yeah. I've chosen the wrong person here. This is, this is a good start. <laughs> yeah. This is, start. this is my start to China. This is how Facebook was started. And, uh, sure enough, she gives me his full name and I do a little research and he's, uh, on, I was most wanted list as, yeah, as a, uh, Holy shit. accused of, of some sort of charge, but we, something along the lines of what she mentioned or something along the lines of what she mentioned. Yeah. I don't like, again, yeah. I don't know why I'm trying to protect him per se, but yeah. it, it was, it was, Fucking strange, man. Fucking strange. Yeah. It's needless to say, the, the business relationship didn't go so far after that. Um, you know, it's a bad start when you can't even tell me your real name and you're running from the law in the same country that we're coming from. So, uh, yeah, that was my first business, business venture. So I'm sure as you, you know, me or anyone that's been here, as long as me continues to talk, you just learn about more and more of these ridiculous, situations and, and, and failures and, you know, just wrong directions that we've taken in order to find the right one. Yeah, I think, I think like, I've had numerous conversations with other expats about people who come to China. And I think a lot of people who come to China are, like, running away from something. You know, they don't have, maybe they don't have their shit together in their home country or they just yeah. don't have any prospects. Maybe they're bored. They come to China to kind of escape that. You're saying you think that is that's your idea, or that's that's kind of the perception out here? No, I think that's. Or you think it's true? I think it's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's my perspective from uh -huh. what I've seen from most people. Because even, for example, if you have somebody who takes a year off of university to come yeah. and teach English in China right. to travel, they're still kind of like escaping, you know, the reality of school and all those pressures right. that take a break. That's a small level, but then there's also like this guy who's a he's really fugitive, running, yeah. and he's literally running away. I think you have a lot of people like that. Then I've met like other expats who are just like I asked them, hey, what, what do you like? What's going on in your home country? It's like ah, nothing, nothing right. going on there. Right, like, right. Nah, you know, it's just like do you plan on staying? Ah, ah. It's just like this yeah. weird thing for me. It's like I had a plan when I came here, and then also if this doesn't work out, then I think I can go back and X, Y, and Z. Sure. You know, I wouldn't want to do X, Y, and Z, but, you know, right. those are options. I think for a lot of people, it's just like, meh, you know, you don't really know what's going on. Yeah, I think, I think, 
I don't know if it's going to continue to be like this, but for a while, since I've been out here, it's pretty easy to coast. Yeah. You know, you can find odd jobs as a foreigner. You know, if you're here for two months and fairly social, you're going to find opportunities to work and to make money and to get by. You know, I don't think that you can really do that in other, other places. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. At least, at least in you know North America, that's that's extremely well, you, difficult. You would do that, but then you wouldn't make anything over like a livable right. wage. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, Whereas here, you could live comfortably. You could live comfortably on like thousand dollars a month. Right, but then there's also just you know the ability to to get into something quickly and and take it on full scale. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it's not just, you know, people being slackers. I think it's also that, you know, if you want to start this business, you want to get this startup going uh, quickly. And, you know, especially when it comes to, to, to products and, and brands, you know, there's such a great um, assets being here in China because most of the stuff is made here. And this is where you're going to, to get your products made. So I think that's a big draw as well. You know, you can do things on the cheap, and and do things much quicker without as many rules and regulations as you could in in another country. Um, but that's changing as well. You know, it's getting increasingly more difficult to to get the necessary um, you know licenses and documents and get everything set up in order to to get started here. Yeah, for example, uh, everyone knows Alibaba, right? It's like the biggest online retail store in the world. They have this thing called AliPay, and it's basically uh, PayPal right, in China, right, which right. is also massive. They only got certified about online payments from the government two years ago. Wow. But they've been around for Yeah, forever. Since yeah. I got here, yeah, you can use AliPay. So they were operating without a license, mm-hmm. without the authorization from the government to, to do transactions, online transactions, for like five years. And That's super interesting. I was listening to this podcast, and one of the reasons the guy said is obviously in China, you know, it's China, you know, TIC. But there's also that aspect of like there are so many different businesses popping up so quickly that mm-hmm. the government cannot keep track of right. every single one. So what they do is they look at like what's the most important one. Like it's something that Alipay didn't exist before. Yeah. So they have to actually learn and study the business before they put in regulation. Right. Right. So it's like that's the other aspect of being here. Is like there's so many new ventures that are coming up and government has to monitor, monitor so many different yeah. things that they focus on what's the most important thing that we can put regulations on right now. When you have if such it's a new business, we have to understand it first. Right. When you have such rapid growth, it's impossible to to keep up with monitoring. Yeah. It's like, you know, the states, if they have a new business, like, you know, PayPal comes along, chances are, you know, the government doesn't have to monitor so many other industries. They can right, learn about right, this right, industry right. very quickly and then add regulations. Right? So that was a different perspective than I had ever heard of. Yeah. So, okay, so you had the, you know, fugitive business <laughs> and then what's next? Um, well, I mean, that that was a quick thing. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't a long... You know, long process with, with that guy. I just, yeah, I just thought about it actually. I haven't, I haven't thought about that one forever. Um, but I, I started to, uh, take on some, some different projects out here while I was teaching just, just to get the ball rolling, trying to see what I could do. There was a ton of markets. There still are 
a ton of markets out here. And what I would go to do is I'd get some like interns from the schools that wanted to learn English or get paid a small amount every day. And I'd bring them with me to these markets and we would um, just find cool stuff. I'd say, hey, anything that you guys think is cool, go show it to me. Let's let's buy some samples. So we would go to the market. We, you know, there's these seven floor, a thousand little shops per floor markets in Guangzhou where you can see a million little trinkets. I mean, there's everything: bag markets, uh, clothing markets, leather markets, shoe markets, just everything you'd ever want to see. Watches, everything. So we would sweep through all these places and we'd pick up samples of what we thought was uh, was either super cool, you know, innovative, different, or uh, nice but affordable. And we would start to take pictures of them and kind of build a little bit of a portfolio. So I would get this portfolio and and send it back to friends and just tell my tell my friends like, hey guys, this is this is what I have. This is you know what I have access to. If you're looking for anything like this or anything similar. Just um, just give me a shout and, and let me know. And I think that was kind of the start when I started to get inquiries from people, when people would, would say, hey, I heard you're in China. I'm looking to make this product. And, and that's kind of how, you know, I got the ball rolling uh, initially. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the first project, it's so hard to remember the exact first project that took off. Uh, one of my best friends was out in China just hanging out. We were... We were traveling a little bit and just going wherever having a good time uh, he bought a, a watch he bought a, a watch at a market uh, before he went back home and then when he went back to the states he would call me about every two or three days and be like Mike I get so many comments about this watch constantly people are talking to me constantly they want this watch and it's just a little plastic and silicone rubber watch and he's like, we got to try so it. This watch is like a no name. No name. Chinese. No name. We, we found like three places in, in Guangzhou that had them. It's just super basic, super cheap, you know, 15, 20 RMB, something like this. $4? Yeah, three, four bucks. Oh you know, super cheap. And, you know, he convinced me that enough people wanted them. I went to a couple of these stores and just bought every single one I could find. They were all different brand names. They were, you know, they had little differences between one watch to the other, but I just bought hundreds of them. Brought every single one I could, spent all my money. <laughs> Along with, I bought these watches and I also bought these little, um, these little, uh, God, what do you call them? They were little cart, they look, they're plastic, but they look like little cartoon animals, right? And they had suction cups on the back, and the animal's mouth would open in the middle, and you could put it on the watch you could put it, No, 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 no. This is a completely separate product. Oh, okay. You could put it on your mirror in the bathroom, and you would slap your. Um, when it opened, you could slap your toothbrush onto it, and it would hold your toothbrush. Have you ever seen those? Nope. The things that hold your toothbrush. <laughs> well, I thought they were super cool, and they only costed like fifteen cents. So I bought like a thousand of these things. And I decided, you know, I'm going to go back to the States for a month and I'm just going to see if people want them. I'm going to try to sell all this stock. That was my big plan. Yeah. So I'll never forget this. I was going through L.A. and I was so nervous because, you know, people who don't do business in China, one of their major concerns, and I still notice this to this day, is like they're really concerned about customs. Yeah. You know, I need somebody to help me with customs and, and I, we can get into this later, but... Customs isn't that big of a deal when you're not doing 
big orders and big business. You know, if you're shipping 10 headphones, U.S. Customs isn't that interested in you. They're not so worried about the taxes you're going to pay on that. But I was the same way when I was coming off the plane, and I had a whole two-suitcase. <laughs> I'm paranoid. And what I did is I claimed that I had goods. Because I was like, if I don't claim, and they see me, they're going to take away all my shit, and they're going to lock me up, and they're going to question me how I have all these toothbrush holders. And um, so I marked on there that the value was like 15 bucks, and they were they were samples. Okay, and and as I was going through the line to show the the customs people my stuff, the guy looked at it and he didn't. I wasn't randomly selected. He just saw that I had claimed something. Yeah. So he goes, "Okay, go to that line." So <laughs> I had to walk to the line where they check the bags, and I had this gigantic bag full of these toothbrush holders. And the guy was like, "Open it up, pour it out," and I was like, "All of it?" And he said, "Yeah, all of it." So I opened this bag and I poured about 650 of these toothbrush holders down onto the thing. And he picks up my paper and he looks at me and he goes, so uh, these are all samples, huh? Yeah. And I go, and I was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I don't believe you, but uh, I'm pretty sure this shit's worthless. So you can take it and get out of here. <laughs> and that was that. Uh, but anyway, man, yeah, I, I took that stuff back and I just started peddling it in in um, in the states. Made my money back. So when you're peddling it, are you just like going to your friends? Are you just walking around saying, "Hey, this cool toothbrush?" Everywhere, man. Dollar stores, stores, you know, friends, everything. But uh, when me and my buddy got together, you know, we were pretty just having fun with it, and we would go like on on. You know, on Saturday and Sunday, we were in Austin, Texas, and we would go to the bars there and just like, hey, this is our new brand. We're starting this watch company. Like, this guy lives in China. I'm the seller in the States. And we would just talk people's ear off, give people free watches, and then other people would come. You know, we'd give, like, the watches to the bartenders and the cute girls, and then other people would come around, hey, I hear you're the watch guys. And, you know, we, we, were, we were charging money, but mostly trying to get, like, free whiskey shots out of it. Uh, but eventually that, that turned into, uh, ticker watch, T-I-K-K-R watch. And, um, I was producing the watches and my buddy Corey was, um, was the, the, the face of the brand. And I think, I think he's still selling them now, but, um, eventually we got on Groupon and sold 10,000 of them in a sale. And, you know, that was like, that was like the first, uh, the first step to, to moving forward. First, like official, official product. 10,000. But as, as, as far as you can tell from our story, it was not so official. <laughs> but that's how we started, just, just hacking it. You built like a reputation a little bit. Yeah. Friends, uh, I, picked up, I picked up some other clients by that time. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of friends and, and family recommendations. Uh, my sister worked for a cosmetic company in, in Los Angeles, and they would need some pro promo material, so I, I would do some some promotional stuff for them, like little bags and T-shirts and stuff. And, and yeah, it just, just stemmed from there. I was eventually able to get enough money to um, start the company and to kind of branch out from there, do some low-level advertising, and then, you know, just took on more clients from there, mostly word-of-mouth stuff. Uh, some of them were, you know, just um, plugged a few orders and then it, 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 it fell through. Some of them were, you know, pretty good successes. Some of them were absolute fucking disasters. 
and with you know uh, that that's definitely how we got rolling, how we got off the ground. So just before we go further, like, how would you define sourcing? Because I'm sure a lot of people are like, fucking sourcing. Yeah, yeah. I was like that till like a year ago. Like, I understood the concept, but then I didn't know that the word sourcing was associated with that. I think um, initially when I when I got started, especially uh, sourcing would be helping or assisting a... Uh, a brand or company with the manufacturing of their product. Um, so, but that encompassed a ton of different levels. You know, some people would come to me with a concept and say, Hey, I want to do this. And I would have to come up with design or locate design teams or locate factories that had design capabilities and, and discuss with factories how to make it, learn about the, um, the materials, where they come from, uh, the machines, incorporated to, to make the product um the timeline timeline just pricing uh packaging all these things uh but then you'd have people who were farther along in the game who already had this maybe they had manufacturing in their home country or in another location that was more expensive um you know that 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 was kind of a different beast as well but now i feel like sourcing is kind of evolved so much because now with with crowdfunding, people have the ability to um, start things up quicker. They don't need as much um, money up front to, to get things off the ground. So it's also evolved into, I think, more... And because my skills have evolved towards like the marketing and, and advertising side of things, that, um, you know, it's also taken on some of that aspect as well you know preparation for getting your products online building a customer base uh, advertising marketing seo management and you know eventually uh sales specifically you're talking about like crowdfunding kickstarter indiegogo yeah 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 and um yeah exactly amazon these, what, type, these type platforms what do you think like the sourcing climate is different obviously now than it was before that time period when you started do you think it was easier to let's say you know be like oh, I'm in China and you, you hit up your friends and stuff and then you, you know, they recommend you whereas now maybe there's, it's a little bit flooded like there are a ton of people doing sourcing. yeah I just think the access to people doing this is greater yeah you know because of the, the crowdfunding um, and maybe it's maybe it's not but you know, I because I've been here for so long, I've met people that do it, and this is their line of work, and they know other people who are looking for this type of help. So it's just like my network of, of these these people and these services become bigger, so it feels like there's so much more competition and so many more people out there. But, yeah, I feel like the access to these people, the the, 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 the amount of information available is, is certainly greater. It's greater. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me it's like, you know, when you approached me with this project, I started doing more research into, like, I want to think about expansion. Mm -hmm. So I, I started doing more research into, like, okay, if you were to scale this business up, what's the competition like? And I just went on Google and I was like, you know, top sourcing companies in the world and came up with pretty much nothing. Man. There's no sourcing company that's like a standout. There's no Google of sourcing, Apple of sourcing. And I, like, I think we had a little bit of this discussion before, but what's your perspective? Why do you think that is 
Um, why do I think there's not much available online? Well, just like a, a, a standout company, like a standout sourcing company that just like, um, go there and it's like everything is good. The website is amazing. It's modern. I think the main reason is because it's not so easy to um, to scale across different markets and industries and products. You know, everything you touch is different. Yeah. Absolutely everything you touch is different. Even, you know, even if you're great at doing watches, you know, one one watch is different from, from another watch and, and, and the learning curve to get there is um is 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 big. You know, it's not that easy to know so much about so many different products and so many different industries and, and I feel like if you're gonna do that you have to you have to be big, man. You have to have a really big operation and you have to have a ton of staff and now when you have a ton of staff like that that's that's a whole nother beast is trying to manage you know, Chinese or, or, or foreign staff, that, that's a whole nother job into itself. You know, when I started getting Chinese employees, I thought I was just going to hit the ground running and, and you know, this was going to blow up and I was going to get rich. But that was actually like the start of my problems and where things became increasingly more difficult because I thought that was going to take away from a lot of my duties and responsibilities. But what it was actually doing was causing me to have to micromanage everything, and now I'm doing two jobs instead of instead of one. So, yeah, I think um, I think it's just not easy to scale. Yeah. I would say. So you think like most sourcing companies, at least what I saw in my research, they go into like a niche. Yeah, they yeah, become yeah, really yeah. good at that niche. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's it. And I think that's the way to go. I mean, you focus on what you're good at and, 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 and stick with it. I, I think that is, you know, a really positive, solid thing to do. I, I remember in business school talking about that a lot, like these really giant companies would start to, you know, dominate and make millions upon millions of dollars, and then they would buy out, you know, another another company in another industry, and, you know, things would start to go sour, or at least it would take them a lot of time to, to gain that, to gain that, um, you know, you know, knowledge and, and be able to be successful at it, so it's hard, you can't think of just doing something brand new tomorrow and dominating at it, it's not the easiest thing. Yeah, yeah I think, I think as well, like you mentioned, I think as well, you have to bring a little bit more to the table these days. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, with us, it could be crowdfunding, consulting, and sure. services like that. It's just—it's not just, hey, I want to make a product in China, and then we help you with that. It's also, hey, after I make the product, you know, I want to raise money for it, scale it up, I want to market it, and help you with that whole process. So I right. think that's probably a better way to go in this day, just to sort of add more services to what you're doing besides besides just the sourcing answer. Right. I wanted to go back to when you first started getting projects. Mm-hmm. You told me when you one of your first major projects, you had to go to India. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Oh man, that's just, uh, that was a whole nother experience. Um, at that time, I got a, a client who was interested in doing hair extensions. Um, had her own hair extension business and wanted to um, source her own uh, product. Wanted to, to uh, instead of buying from distributors in the USA, mark up the product considerably. She wanted to have her own, you know, supply chain and, and get the product like that. Uh, we found out that the best product uh, was coming from India. 
uh, Chinese hair, natural hair is what is what these people want. Um, needs to be all natural, never been treated. Which, if you think about it, is kind of crazy because most people use shampoos or some things that have chemicals. Well, I mean, you could save the the time of me talking and check out a documentary called Good Hair. It's um, with Chris Rock. He 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 has a really really funny take on like the yeah the 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 weave business, and he goes and dives into it. Which is really interesting because he goes to India and he goes to Chennai, which is where I've been several times. He actually meets with one of the guys who I've met and, you know, done business with. So it was really, really funny for me because I've had firsthand experience with it. Um, but yeah, I had been in China at least a year and a half at that point. So, you know, I was very comfortable with, with China and the, the, the business that I had started by then. So going to India and trying to get that going was just a whole new can of worms, a whole new world that had all new challenges. And then just what you're saying about, about, about sourcing and, you know, why aren't, wasn't there one go-to standard company? I think that's a great reason because, I mean, oh, okay, I'll go to India and source some hair. All good, no problem. But, I mean, there's got bitch slap the second I got to India. It's just, um, yeah, intense experience in, in India. Yeah, you told me about the uh, food poisoning situation. That was the worst. That was the worst, man. You know, people, I, I don't know, I've been in China so long, I think there's something wrong with me. I have some type of bacteria that allows me to not get sick I here. I food poisoning in China either. Yeah, there's like, something wrong with you too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm African, right? Yeah, man. It's got to be something. Some people come out here and they just can't hack it. Can't handle it. But I do okay here. But yeah, I, I people told me don't eat outside in India. So I was staying at a nice hotel. I ate inside every day. Food was great. But I was like, man, I've been here two and a half weeks. Like, I want to eat something. This is, this is, I got to experience life, man. Come on. So I walked around the hotel for like an hour and a half, and I found the nicest restaurant I could outside. And I was like, oh, man, this is great. Food looked good. Service was interesting. You know, the place was interesting. But, um, yeah, for the next 48 hours, it was just absolutely miserable. I couldn't even turn on the lights in, in the hotel room when I did. It's just straight to the bathroom. And, oof, it was rough. It was like it was like a cartoon, cartoonish Projectile vomiting, like it was, it was awful, man. It was, it was the worst. It was the absolute worst. If you're eating right now, you know, sorry. Put it down. <laughs> yeah, man, that shit was rough. In touch over India, you said India could be like a whole other podcast. Yeah, program. I'd love to do that on, on a different time, just because there's so much to talk about, um, you know, from a business perspective there, but but just just the culture and the people, it's 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 so different, so different from 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 China, even though you hear it in, mentioned in the same breath a lot as far as businesses are concerned and like, uh, what do you call it, like the brick countries, you know, and it's an emerging market, but I, I don't know, after having been there, I can't, I can't put them in the same, in the same category. They're just so, so different, in my opinion. What do you think, I guess, what do you think is the future for business in China, maybe sourcing more specifically, and then just life in China in general? I don't know. I think that's why why it's so interesting. You know, I've said since I've gotten here, you know, what's this place going to be like in 10 years? It's going to be fascinating to see how it changes, you know, just to see what I've seen in eight years, you know, to imagine what's going to happen in another eight years is, um, you know, 
could, could go anywhere, anywhere, any any direction. That's why that's why this place is really special, and amazing. Um, the future of business, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you got to think that manufacturing is slowly going to continue to move out. You know, um, just as costs continue to rise, yeah. as things become increasingly more expensive. But I mean, I, I don't think that's going to happen overnight because of the, the the skills that they've gained and the amount of um, technology and, 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 and know how that they have here. Uh, you know, that that's not easily transferable. I don't think there's anywhere in the world that can scale up as quickly as uh, as China has. But you know. It's been steadily moving for the past, you know, five plus years out of southern China, at least to northern China, Indonesia, Bangladesh, places like this. And then on like a, it's just a really basic piece of advice. If I'm somebody who's in North America or wherever, and they're thinking, you know, I want to develop this product, why do I need a middle guy? Why can't I just do it myself? Why can I use all the resources that are available? Alibaba, Skype, mm. like, you know. WhatsApp, WeChat, like why do I need somebody there? I mean, I think I think ultimately you can do that. You can do it yourself, and um, you know, if if you have the time and the money to to do it yourself, and you want to learn all of these things and you want to hack it out, uh, I would say I would say do that. Um, but you're going to take your lumps, you're going to take your bruises and, and, and it's not going to be an easy experience and it's going to take forever and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to lose money and you're going to, you know, it's just, it's not easy, you know, so, so if you employ someone who's been through all of that many times over, I think you're just going to save time and, and, and patience and ultimately sanity. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to have somebody who, money. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's nice to have somebody that you can relate to and talk to and, and somebody that's kind of protecting your best interests out here because what you realize when you come to China is that's not it's not usually the case yeah. not, and I don't want to say they but like you know you're, you're a foreigner and oftentimes the people you're talking about who are trying to do these things you know it's not easy for them to come here as well so if you're trying to do all of these things from, from another country it makes it that much harder you know, versus somebody who's on the ground here and has gone through these experiences and, you know, has recommendations to, to on how to, you know, mitigate risk and, and get through these things swiftly. Yeah, I think I agree. Like, I, I think you can do it yourself, but then what you, what you mentioned as well is very important, the cultural differences, right. you know, language barrier. I mean, not, so, not as much now because you do have agents at the factories who can speak English, mm -hmm. but... It's still a cultural barrier. You don't know about the business climate in China. Case in point, you recommended a certain story to me that I'm still in the process of reading about a sort of famous basketball player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what's the name of... Uh, Iverson. <laughs> yeah, if you check it out, Alan Iverson just had, uh, had an interesting experience in China, which I'd love to talk about on another day because um, I have a lot of involvement in, in basketball out here. It's something that I've done since I got out here. Uh, and there's... Just like everything in China, there's opportunities to make money. And a lot of guys want to come over here to play basketball. And you can make money even on a really low level out here playing ball if you know how to find the games and how to behave. That's a really hard thing for some of these guys. Um, I just quickly thought about about something. And you, you just mentioned, like, uh, know the culture, right? 
And like, if you're out here, you'll have a better idea of how to talk to people. And um, I was been getting into the the basketball side of things as well. You know, helping guys get jobs out here. And I was just in a meeting last week with some Chinese organizers who wanted me to help them bring foreigners out here to play. And you know, one thing that they stressed to me over and over was like the clothes washing situation. Like you got to let them know that when they're here. We can't just wash clothes and have them to them five hours later. It's really difficult. <laughs> and I just started cracking up because I'm like, guys, like... This is a combination. <laughs> right. You know, like, like, like I can handle making sure that these guys know about their socks. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we spend a little bit more money on the team buying them 10 extra pairs of socks. You know, but for them, it's a really big issue because in the past, they've had guys out here and things will just blow out of control because they lost these guys' clothes and they didn't know how to properly explain it to them or they got their clothes back and they were wet and they got all pissed off. And, you know, it seems so minuscule and so minor, but, you know, it's turned into a giant issue and it'll disrupt, you know, the the, the week tour that these guys are on. So, you know, that, that, that's a whole separate separate uh issue and thing you know basketball but i think it carries over to, to everything so yeah and it's like for example the cultural thing in the basketball thing. you're taking like a guy who you know maybe didn't even think about coming to china ever didn't care about china probably his whole life right and then you're taking him from the states and immersing him in this culture and they're not like always in the big cities anyways they go to yeah, some of the smaller no, we cities play we play in the sticks so, man yeah and then the dudes in the smaller cities you know about culture in America besides what they see on TV, yeah. you know, which is just not an accurate reflection. Anymore. Yeah, it gets really yeah. weird out there. Yeah, it, it gets must really be, weird. It must be fascinating. It's funny. Oh, but I think that's a good place to end the first one. Did you have any closing thoughts? Um, just excited to do this, man. Even the, even if it doesn't get out to anybody, and you know, it's just me and you talking. I think I think it's a it's a good a good way to just you know shoot ideas back and forth and yeah I'm looking forward to doing more I call podcasting the gym for narcissism hey I like that I like that <laughs> maybe that's that could be stuff. that could be the name of our podcast <laughs> gym for narcissism the gym for narcissism it's <laughs> good stuff um, yeah so if you guys enjoyed our podcast there's gonna be more coming soon uh, check us out at, uh, at sourcefindasia that's twitter but then the website is www.sourcefindasia.com we have a uh, ton of videos. Mike did a video about how to create a form physical product and sell your business. And then we will have you know many things related to sourcing, much more information, more videos. So yeah, check us out. Can we brainstorm some uh, some podcast names? We're starting with I Live in China. Oh, I Live in China. Yeah. 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 If you have any yeah. recommendations, let us know. Peace. Raw chemicals, vitamins and minerals, and Vicodin with inner tubes wrapped around the arm. The seed of vein like a chicken on the barn. Top cat chat, let's begin another yawn. Let's fly in salsa cheese, or is it chicken palm? The roosters don't fly like boosters don't buy. So what powers cowards to get them to the top? Just to fall asleep, listening to Bach. The ribbon in the sky is the ribbon that I drop. Dribbling the eye across the prism of a clock. That lacks meaning, but racks up stacks of fat reading to catch chief and wrapped up plants from trap dealings. Now what's the coffin with a scratch ceiling?